Hello and welcome to our Women in Treasury US Forum podcast, brought to you by the Treasury Today Group. I'm Meg Coates, co-publisher and head of operations at Treasury Today. On the 14th of October this year, we brought our community from across the US together for our third virtual Women in Treasury Forum. We were lucky enough to be joined by some inspirational panellists from across the world, from Singapore to London to New York and Chicago. They were Deepa Palamutam, Melanie Simmons, Geraldine Yip and Kim Hockfeld. They took time to share their candid and insightful stories with our audience, along with sharing advice in this interactive afternoon. You've come from a totally different background um, and you've had a career all over the world. I want you to tell me a little bit about that journey and particularly how you've seen the conversation that we're having today around diversity and inclusion evolve over that time. I started um, in banking because um, I really had studied law in university and decided that the only thing I didn't want to do after university was to practice law. So my father said I needed a job, so I had to go out and get one. But I really had a good opportunity to start as a as a graduate trainee in, at Citibank. And that's really how the my journey in, in marketing began. So I, I really built a career doing business-to-business marketing communications. Over the years, you know, certainly... Um, I started my career in Singapore and um, at the time, you know, you just someone that did and you just were there to learn everything that you had to do. And it was through the, the course of my journey where you realize that um, this awareness around diversity and inclusion and, and the differences in gender and how people are treated in a corporate culture. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough through my career to really work for different kinds of organizations that kind of approached it in similar yet different ways. Um, and I think that that's really what I've observed. It's about that, you know, some companies look at it purely from a diversity of gender, very focused approach or, and then, you know, and of course, in later years, really talking about inclusion of race and culture. But I think that, you know, underlying all of this is the the overall belief that diversity brings diversity of thought, um, which then leads to innovative ideas and obviously in ultimately achieving better results for the company. Um, But, you know, the truth is we're all complex human beings, right? And we all bring unique perspectives to the table. And if you think about, you know, even if I use myself as an example, for example, you know, I, I am ethnically Chinese, I'm female, but actually those two things about me alone won't tell you a lot about the way I think. You know, when I was a child, I was really referred to like a banana. Um, um, I was yellow on the outside, but white on the inside because I had a fairly Western way of the way I I thought about things. Um, And also because of the schools and the education I grew up in. So, you know, you would not necessarily know why I could sound like a British person or why I um, actually speak Mandarin really badly. (laughs) So, you know, so um, I think that, I guess my point is that a lot of us up to now, you know, up to recently really viewed ourselves as global citizens, right? Um, we kind of, you know, you adapt to the environment that you're in. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, the conversation needs to turn to more one about equality. It's about how do we bring more equality and opportunity. So it's really about equal opportunity for everyone because diversity and inclusion in of themselves don't necessarily bring that equal opportunity. Um, and so that's what I've noticed that companies have become more conscious of and are trying to figure out how to bring that in. But it is difficult because statistically that's harder to measure. Um, and I think um, that that's where our challenge is going forward. 
Melanie, I mentioned there a little bit earlier that you're doing some amazing work at the moment around financial literacy outside of your day-to-day job. And I've certainly found that really, um, sort of, I guess, inspiring, actually. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about it, what it means for you? Financial literacy is very near and dear to me. And I think it's really because of my personal experiences. Going into college, I didn't know much about my very first credit card, taking a credit card, the interest rates, um, your credit score, budgeting, financial aid, 401k, things like that. So um, right now what I do is I actually have a blog. It's called Money by Mail. And at the last Monday of every month, I release a a post. And it, it's based on our economy and how um, how the economy is affecting our finances and um, what we can do to help manage our finances better. And um, Actually, over the summer, I had taught a financial literacy workshop um, to a group of high school students entering their first year of college. And I just went over financial aid basics with them. Um, I provided them with a budgeting template. A big one for me that I didn't know anything about when I was in high school and was working in my first year in college was taking advantage of your company match. I've lost so much money because I wasn't familiar with a lot of those. Now I look at them as basics. But those tools, and I just want to be a resource to people that uh, may not think about those things and they may not realize what type of resources are available to them. So um, that's actually what I'm doing now. Um, I have a post coming at the end of the month and I try to remain active. Now it's going to be about what's going on with politics now and how that's going to affect our finances. So I'll have something like that and inflation in my post. So it's really, really near and dear to me. I personally love talking about it ever since I was finishing college because I had learned so much. Deepa, you and I spoke about um, the hospitality side of things, if you like, and you were talking about the fact that you don't drink and that having been an issue. As Geraldine pointed out, there are a lot of uh, networking uh, sessions and some of them are termed happy hours. And uh, I don't drink. I was expected to go. And I... um, I have two boys, and now they're grown up, but when they were little, that three o'clock, four o'clock is the time when they come out from school, and I've always made it a point to be there. It was difficult to go, and I made it clear that I don't enjoy these sessions, and I'm not going to force myself to do, number one, what I don't enjoy, and number two, it doesn't work for me from a work-life balance perspective. Uh, I think initially there were some comments, but uh, later on, as uh, I think these women in networking sessions have brought out these challenges for women more in the open, um, I got less flack for it. And I am actually empathetic to people who don't want to network Now, that said, it's not all networking sessions that I avoid. For example, when you're traveling and you're out for a conference, if if this was Women in Treasury and I was attending it, say, in New York, of course I would be going. Whether I drink or not, I would be going and have some fun, right? But when I'm at home, it's a very different situation. Um, So it, it is a situational decision. But definitely, uh, not drinking alcohol is uh, viewed as, uh, okay, what planet do you come from kind of uh, <laughs> a comment that I get. I think leading on from that point, you know, in these programs around diversity and inclusion and equality in these conversations we have about equal opportunity, that's the thing. You've got to create programs that are equal opportunity. So you can't just have programs that are purely networking or purely 
um, you know, this kind of training or that kind of coaching, you really have to create a program. The programs themselves have to be diverse so that it appeals to um, a range of people because it will bring out different things in different people and develop that diversity in each of them, right? Um, so I, I think that that's important to, to sort of acknowledge. We have had a year when Black Lives Matter has gained real traction across the world. Kim, I want to come to you. How can we leverage some of the wins that we've had, first from this work we've been doing around gender equality, and secondly, from some of the energy there is around these conversations that are happening this year, and move the dial a little bit further? I'm going to drag us a little bit back to, to quote some depressing statistics, just to, do, to remind us all how far we've come. So, you know, I was doing a little bit of research on this. Um, I wonder how many of us around this virtual table know that of the 193 countries in the world, there are only 21 where we have a female head of state. Uh, you know, the two most notable are probably Angela Merkel in Germany and, and um, the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, but only 19. Then of 193 countries, there are only 14, one four, where women comprise more than 50% of the cabinet. I mean, just unbelievable statistics. And again, you know, FTSE 100 here in the UK, only 5% are women. Of the Fortune 500, there are only 38 women. McKinsey and Lean In, which is Cheryl Sandberg's organization, recently published a study saying it horrifyingly that apparently one in four women are considering leaving the workforce due to pressures induced on them by COVID-19, whether it's um, the juggling at home or care responsibilities of, of parents. So, you know, some really, really depressing statistics. And then to bring the tone down even more, when you think about it um, in terms of racial diversity, there are only four Fortune 500 CEOs that are black. Um, there's only one FTSE 100 CEO who is black, and there are none in the Canadian index. So, I mean, just jaw-dropping statistics. So that's a depressing bit. I think... Yeah, that's where we've come from. It's, it is depressing how slow this has been um, on the subject of gender diversity, because that's the one that's caught the world's attention um, less recently. But we have made progress. And I'll, you know, I'll give you one encouraging statistic from State Street Global Advisors. So we're a very large asset manager, as many of you know. We invest in a, you know, a number of different companies, and we use our vote to drive change. Um, and of all the companies in which we invest, we have had 54% of them nominate a female board member when their board was previously all male. So it is in terms of numbers, that's 789 companies. We also used our vote with 234 companies to vote against their choice of a white male board member. So you know, there are ways we can really drive change. Obviously, that's on an organizational level. So what I take away from that is actually there is momentum behind change. And I, I'm using that from a diversity perspective as a whole. I mean, there is so much research out there now. I don't think there can be any debate that having diverse decision-making leads to better decisions. It leads to a more robust risk management framework. It leads to more innovation. Yet we're not doing this just to be socially, politically correct. This really makes a company stronger. So I feel from where I sit, there is a real momentum behind the need for change. This topic is not being pushed under the carpet anymore. There is enough institutional momentum to really drive change. So that's comforting. It's been too slow on the gender front. I hope that as we think about Black Lives Matter and the move towards racial diversity too, 
that movement can learn from some of the lessons and some of the mechanisms that have been put in place to drive change. The programs that are helping nurture and develop diverse talent at all levels of an organization. The willingness perhaps to take a risk on somebody who's not a perfect fit for a job, but you can nurture and develop that person so that you can start closing the gap, the, the demographic gap in our companies and our society to allow for both women and for um, ethnically diverse people to start making real strides. So it's slow, it's way too slow, but yeah, I think there really is an acknowledgement that we need to do this. Um, it, there is an institutional acknowledgement and acceptance that this needs to be done. And it's, it's not going to be a quick fix. We're trying to fix a societal problem as well as an institutional problem. But I think that the will is really there. So you know, fingers crossed that the, the progress on, on racial and ethnic diversity is quicker than, than the one on gender. Since the unfortunate events that occurred this year, um, what my organization, what we, we didn't used to have a diversity and inclusion team or committee. So now we've implemented that. Um, and it's, I actually reached out to our HR team to see exactly what we are doing. And um, we're, we're starting up the committee and we're going to get a survey out and we're curious with what our employees, how they feel during this time, because we don't know. Um, I know particularly for me, it was a hard time um, because I had to go to work and kind of leave what was going on in the world out so I can get my job done. And it was, it was a little stressful. So actually started therapy for the first time this year. But um, I, I love that my, my organization, they saw that. Like as soon as I sent over the email, they're like, we need to do something about it. You're not the only one that feels this way. Um, and I think they, I like that they have a program in place where they're listening. And that's actually what we're doing. We've implemented a DNI um, team because of this. We've always had, uh, had for some time a chief uh, diversity and inclusion officer. We immediately had messages coming from the top executives, especially the chief DNI officer. And what she said uh, was very simple but very impactful. What she said is employees want to be heard. So listen, and listening is key. And that message goes out to everybody in the organization, but the managers and the leaders specifically. Check in on the immediate team members. Who is not at the table? Bring them along. Those are some of the key messages that she gave. And the other message that she said is, okay, her title is Chief Inclusion Officer, which what she left us with in one of her speaking events was, I want each employee to think of themselves as the chief inclusion officer. It's not just her job. It's each one of us who needs to be a chief inclusion officer. That was very impactful. And as we all know, major transformation takes time. But if each one of us is on the journey, it becomes a little easier. I want us to think a little bit together about what representation means for you. Do you think this is important to see senior level representation? And if so, why and what does it mean? I think it's very, very important to have representation. Um, representation to me, it means diversity and seeing individuals that look like me in senior leadership. Just recently, we actually hired a female COO for our company. And I was I was super excited for her and I'm like super excited for myself because I'm like, okay, yes, we finally have a woman in the C-suite at my company. Um, before that, we hired a black CDO 
And I was super excited to see that. And that just gives me affirmation that, you know what, if I work hard enough and if I stay focused and make the right sacrifices, I can be in senior leadership and possibly the C-suite, depending on where my career goes. But um, I think it's very, very important to have representation. And it doesn't have to be of the same gender. I get so much support from my boss now, who's a male. Um, he listens to me. He's so supportive to me. And um, he helps develop me, you know. So I actually love having individuals in, that, in my corner and just having a safe space where I can have those conversations with them where I want to talk about my goals and where I'd like to see myself in the next two to three years. Um, I love that I have that space with those individuals and that that comes with being having a diverse leadership team. And actually one of our, um, our, we just hired a new controller and she's a female and she's so supportive. And I love that she, she, she listens and she gives great advice. So representation is just seeing people of all colors in leadership. And it just gives you that confidence that you need to grow. Um, that, that's, that's why it's very, very important to me. Kim, you are a woman in a position of senior leadership and power. What, what's some of the advice that you'd offer to women who are starting out in their careers now? Okay, I'm going to start with one of my favorite quotes that my father always had up on the wall in his office, but it's by Goethe, the German philosopher. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. And I think that's what I would say to anyone, a man or a woman starting out in their, in their career. But I echo my comments that I made earlier. I really feel this is a great time to be a woman starting your career. Um, the wind is at your back. Use it. Um, the world wants you to succeed. Ask for help if you need it. You will get it. Um, work hard. I'm not saying you can't, you know, this, this means you can cruise along. You do need to work hard, but there is a huge institutional bias and a will for you to succeed, for you to feel included, to, to, for you to be able to see the role models of where you're trying to get to. Um, so there's so much going for, for a woman, woman starting out. You know, echoing again the theme we just we, we said, you need friends on your journey whether that's a partner at home that you can vent to, whether that's a mentor, whether that's a sponsor, make sure you network, network, and network throughout your career. The last three job moves that I've made have all been for people with whom I've worked at a previous time in my career. Um, make sure you're always professional. Make sure when you leave an organization, you leave on good terms. Um, if you're going to a bigger opportunity, your, your previous manager should understand why you're leaving but you never know where the next opportunity is coming from. And I think lastly, and, and very critically, is you do need a support network. And I say that from an emotional perspective, you need to have the knowledge that you are supported, um, in that you want a career, that you're going out every day when we can go out to an office and work, but um, that the people around you are supportive of your journey. That's really key. And the times when you do need that emotional pick-me-up, I think that that's been critical in, in part of my journey. But also in terms of the support network that you might need as part of your caring responsibilities. Um, if you do choose to have children in your career, you will need a good nanny or some very understanding grandparents or a very understanding partner. That will allow you to focus on what you're trying to do with your career. Um, I'm sure many of us are going to have or already have caring responsibilities for, for parents or grandparents. Again, we need the support networks to allow us to not to drop the ball on either of them. I'm not saying it's easy, 
but you do need to figure out the way you're going to cope um, and juggle with your responsibilities. So, um, and, and then my last piece of advice is have fun. You should be having fun. You should be passionate about what you're doing. If you're not, you're probably not going to succeed um, and you're probably in the wrong job. Um, but if you love what you're doing and you can see the end goal, I think that will carry you through on a very successful career. As a leader, how are you encouraging your teams to create that kind of inclusive environment is so important. Like what are the things that you do to actively encourage that, that everyone that's listening can also take away with them? Well, I think that first and foremost, I think we have to remember that, um, you know, women always think that they have to choose and, and everyone actually thinks that they have to choose. You know, sometimes you choose between family and work. But I, I do really do believe that at some point that we can have it all, but maybe just not all at the same time. So I think that that's well, that's really important to remember, right, that life is a journey and, and not necessarily a destination. But part of that the question you asked um, about the teams, I mean, I guess it's really no different from answering a question about, you know, how to build, you know, a happy team that trusts each other and, and work together happily, right? And have fun. Um, you know, I, I often try and give my team like a common purpose. And I, I do tell, you know, my teammates that um, building and establishing the credibility of our team is really the number one priority. And I feel like if you give people um, a commonality, a common purpose around what it is that they need to do, then they're reminded that we're all part of something bigger than just our individual selves, right? Um, and that helps to foster this um, environment of trust. And I think that, you know, as team leaders, we have to ensure that, you know, our teams understand their roles, they understand their parts in it, they understand that they're empowered to do their role successfully and supported, um, as well as accountable, um, and have to work hard for those things. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, all that will lead to an environment of transparency, open communication, I think, which is something that's really important. Because at the end of the day, these are the things that are going to allow us to proactively address some of these challenges that we do have um, around these institutional bias, personal bias. Um, but, you know, uh, it's, it's important to build that trust in, in teammates, I think. You know, and, and it's, it, it is the little moments. I think Kim, at the beginning of this conversation, talked a little bit about what she missed about being in the office. And it is those little moments. You know, I always say to my team that, you know, life is too short to not be able to have a laugh over um, a snack with someone in the office. I think post-COVID-19, I'm going to have to come up with a different example. It might have to be like, oh, while well, you're washing our hands for the 10th time in the pantry. <laughs> but, um, but, but I do think that um, it is those little moments. And, and I think that while we're in this environment, um, it is still challenging for us. Well, you know, while we're all Zooming. And I do think that while Zoom has been fantastic, um, building a relationship over Zoom is challenging, right? I think it helps support it, um, but it doesn't necessarily help build it. And I think in some cases, you know, relationships might actually go backwards a little bit. So I, I do hope, you know, for all our sakes that this pandemic does come to some sort of an ease or an end, because I do think that we're going to pay a certain price to our culture um, as we go forth. But, uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about the communication and, and the empowerment. I think part of inclusion, I feel, is uh, being yourself. It's easy for us to try and emulate someone else or try to want to be someone else. You're you. You're unique. So uh, I would focus on being yourself and also projecting confidence or being confident even when you don't feel it. I mean, I know when I'm given a new job, I'm like, I am not confident at all. But I know there's a team I'm leading. I have to uh, project the confidence. And it will come through, you know, a month, two. You will get to know more about the work that you're doing. I think those are two things for me. It's very important for me to be myself 
and uh, you have be alluded to the alcohol conversation and i could i don't think i wanted to give to that pressure of hey i have to drink alcohol to look cool that, no i didn't and likewise your culture the way you're brought up plays into who you are um doesn't matter that's that's the inclusion and that's the diversity that we're all talking about a big thank you to all those who attended our virtual women in treasury us forum thank you to our panelists deepa melanie geraldine and kim thank you also to our sponsors hsbc and state street global advisors and to our supporters bmp pariba icd and wells fargo and thank you for listening if you'd like to continue the global conversation around diversity inclusion and equality in our industry please join our private women in treasury linkedin group you can also keep up to date with all of our latest content at treasurytoday.com to hear more of our podcast episodes and discover all of our audio content please subscribe wherever you get your podcast from